0: We normally don't talk parks on this show because several of you will have already tuned out at the mention of parks coming from our (laughs) Cruise Line podcast, but... Welcome back, everybody, to this week's bonus episode of the DCL Duo podcast, brought to you by My Path Unwinding Travel and... We get to start this week's show with some listener questions, comments, and feedback. We are so excited. We love it when people use the voicemail line or send us email, and we've got a little bit of both this week. So for all of you out there who don't know, we do have a voicemail line. You can call us at 402-413-5590, 402-413-5590. We love to get voicemails, and then we include them in the show as appropriate and respond. And so if you got questions, comments on a show, hit us up there. But for now, let's start with our first voicemail. It's all about linked reservations.
1: Hey, Brian and Sam. Good evening. It's Josh from episode 222. I wanted to call and ask you two a question about linking reservations. I don't know a whole lot about linking reservations and I wanted to ask what are the pitfalls and benefits of linking reservations with another travel party? I understand it can be used to dine together, but are there any other purposes that linking reservations comes into play? Uh, anyway, thanks, as always, for the podcast, and I can't wait to hear your next show. Thanks. Bye.
0: All right. So... Josh, you want to know about advantages and disadvantages to linking up your cruise line reservations used to be a significant potential disadvantage that has now gone away during COVID. If you had linked reservations and someone on a linked reservation tested positive when they were doing all the cruise line testing, uh, the entire party in linked staterooms could be disqualified from boarding the cruise, or at least you'd have to go through a much lengthier boarding process. In my mind, I don't know of too many disadvantages to linking your reservations as long as you like the people you're linking up with. (laughs) But Sam, what are some of the advantages of linking up your cruise line reservation?
2: So the biggest advantage is that you will automatically be seated together for dinner. That's really the biggest advantage. You also, you do have to make sure you have both been assigned the same dining time, meaning early seating or late seating. If one of your, if one half of the party is assigned to early seating and the other half is assigned to late seating, you won't be seated together automatically. But if you're assigned to the same dining time, you will be seated together automatically. So that's really the biggest advantage. The other advantage is you can actually see in your app, once you've been linked, you should be able to see what onboard activities the other folks in your party have booked um, so they you won't be able to cancel or change their activities so don't worry about that no disadvantage there but you can see you know if somebody's going to be going to let's say uh, champagne tasting or something like that and you could uh, kind of stalk the app to see if you can get added to one of their activities so that that's i would say another advantage
0: josh i wanted to say one other advantage that you can get is if you're linking up reservations with someone else who has similar castaway club status to you so if their party also has a a platinum cruiser and you're a platinum cruiser or gold, Like if you have same Castaway Club status across the two parties, you can coordinate your activity booking a little bit better. So when you go in to do activity booking at whatever activity booking window you have, if your reservations are linked, you should be able to see everyone across the linked reservations. And then you can sort of check off who's going to do what shore excursions, for example, or who wants Palo dining across those rooms. If you have different Castaway Club levels, though, the highest level folks can book ahead of the others. And so it's not like if the other reservation has a gold and you're a platinum, your platinum status will only enable you to book that dining for you and the people in your stateroom. You can't pull across the people from another stateroom or reservation. If you have that issue, one thing you can do is if you have, say, two golds on your reservation or two platinums on your reservation, uh, we've done where we have booked one platinum in each stateroom and linked the reservation so that everyone can book, you know, Palo at the same time, and then when you get to the port, you know, depending on you know how close you are with the other family, you can either opt to have them kind of adjust uh, who's in which stateroom at the port, or you can just leave things alone. We had a guest on a recent episode, I think, who mentioned they do this strategy a lot between staterooms, but then they just they don't really sort it out at the port. They just get an extra key card for each stateroom and just deal with it, deal with it that way. So.
2: But if you do it that way, you have to do it at the time of booking, basically.
0: Essentially, you'll get access to see the other party's bookings. You may have some access to book things for members of the other party. You will be linked for dining. Uh, The other thing that we've talked about on our show before is if you have one party sailing in concierge, they can do some things with linked staterooms. So for like Palo reservations, concierge doesn't actually have to designate who's going to be on the reservation. They can just say uh, when email Shoreside concierge I want to have a dinner for four at Palo at seven o'clock on whatever day and so it doesn't matter whether or not those people are also in concierge or also platinum or whatever it's just that they have a reservation for a four top table then and they can include kind of whomever they want same thing for like cabanas like we have a couple of cabanas booked on an upcoming cruise we're linked with some other folks we can get them added onto the cabanas once we're on board but we just book the cabanas and then can include them so and I think we've also done that with some like booking like an Olaf's tea. Uh, we can include them because their reservation is linked with ours, but we can't book shore excursions for them necessarily at the concierge booking window. We have to book it at the regular opening window. So mileage may vary here as well, but those are some of the advantages we've seen with linking reservations. And again, as Sam said, the primary one is that you get to eat with the people that you want to eat with. Uh, and if you've got a bunch of reservations blocked together, uh, you can get larger tables in the dining room to accommodate kind of the larger parties up to a certain point.
2: Yeah. And if you have a really big party, but you're all linked and you can't fit at the same table, they will still put you usually in the same area. So you should hopefully be seated near each other in the dining room, at least.
0: All right, Josh, thanks for that question. And now we've got another voicemail. This one from Rachel, who wanted to provide some feedback on the Royal Caribbean show we did recently with Josh and her own experience with her family. And so uh, let's listen to Rachel's voicemail.
1: Hi, Brian and Sam. This is Rachel from episode 120 about the Disney Wonder and Disneyland trip in 2019. I'm still faithfully listening to your episodes, and decided to call in after listening to your recent episode with Josh about Royal Caribbean's Quantum of the Seas. Uh, this summer, my husband and my daughter and I, with our extended family, went on the exact same ship to Alaska, and I shared many of the same sentiments as Josh, but I have some other thoughts to add as well. Um, First off, I just couldn't contain myself. Um, I was cracking up hearing Josh's thoughts on the Starwater show. Um, We were just as bewildered with that show. Um, I actually see that there's a couple of YouTube video recordings of the show if you feel like checking it out for yourself. It's out there to see. It was an odd one. Um, I personally love the trivia games on Royal more than the Disney experience. Um, They had a huge variety. They had Harry Potter trivia. They actually did have Disney trivia cartoon characters, name that tune. Um, and then most of them were hosted in a really large venue so they could accommodate a big volume of people to participate. And the hosts were all super good. Um, I also agree with Josh that the in-room entertainment was a major disappointment. Um, for a seven-day cruise, it was really a bummer to not have any on-demand movies and shows. So that was definitely a one-up for Disney there. Uh, but besides those shows and in-room entertainment, actually found I enjoyed the family atmosphere on Royal to be more inclusive than Disney, which may sound completely crazy, but hear me out. Um, We went to specialty restaurants on three nights with my whole family, and all were open to kids, which had been one thing I find a little counterintuitive to the special dinings offered on Disney. I just don't understand why they don't have specialty dining that the whole family can participate in. Um, Actually, remember you talked about this in your thoughts for the newly purchased global dream. I know that kids clubs are a huge um, selling point for Disney as one of those maxed out kids experiences but I found my family spent more time together in the family-centric areas like riding bumper cars, going to dance classes, playing laser tag, rock climbing, people watching um, for the flow rider and the skydiver and then going in that North Star observation deck we did together. So I felt that kids clubs were cool but not the central point where kids wanted to be which just meant more time together as a family. Um, I know Disney added that new activity space on The Wish, so I hope that they continue to do more spaces like that on Royal, uh, like they do on Royal, so they're not targeted towards just kids or just adults.
0: Rachel, some really great feedback there on your Royal Caribbean experience. I did want to say for everyone out there listening, we also got a listener voicemail and email that uh, took some issue with our show with Josh about Royal Caribbean. Just want to say for everyone out there, if anything in that show caused you offense or concern, we would sure love to hear about it. Uh, But of course, it's never our intent to cause offense or concern with our shows. We're here to just entertain and inform. Uh, But we do appreciate the listener who reached out to let us know their thoughts. And we'll certainly take those into consideration as we go forward did want to say for Rachel's thoughts, just fantastic to hear about your experience with Royal Caribbean. We've been hearing more and more from folks. In fact, we've got a show coming out probably here in uh, mid-February-ish, I think, with someone who sailed on Celebrity Cruise Line, who frankly rated Celebrity beyond Disney or above Disney uh, for her family. Now she's got some older kids and we'll talk about that more in that show. But look, Disney may not be the right answer here for every family or every sailing, every destination, every itinerary. Uh, And so it's just great to hear when other people have good experiences, on board Royal or other cruise lines, because we love to use our show to let people know about other opportunities out there and how they compare to Disney so that, you know, we don't lose sight of the fact that we're paying a really high premium to sail on Disney Cruise Line. And if it's not meeting the experiential bar for everyone, where else you can go to f- maybe find that experience and often at a lower price. So uh, anyway, Rachel, really, really super appreciate the comments. It's so interesting to hear your experience. And yeah, I'm going to go have to search out the YouTube video for Starwater because, wow. Uh <laughs> Now, after two reviews, I'm super curious and I don't know that I want to pay the cruise fare just to see it. So we're going to head out there and check that out. Awesome. Now, Rachel also hit us up with an email after because our voicemail line is limited to three minutes. She started into a question but got cut off. And so she sent us an email and I wanted to be sure to include that in the show so that we could answer it. So Rachel's question to us reads, hey, Brian and Sam, happy new year. Question I was hoping to ask you both was for your thoughts on the West Coast being the home to some of the older ships in most cruise line fleets. We've held off on booking a new cruise because I want to again sail from San Diego or maybe the LA area, but I want to feel like I'm getting something new and different. And I feel like we're getting shorted, not having a chance to have the dream or fantasy visit our region. Even Royal has an older ship, and I just don't want to go backwards from what we experienced on Quantum. What do you think is the reason why Disney hasn't offered a Southern California cruise during the summertime on a newer ship? Take care. Great question, Rachel. I'm want to start by getting Sam's thoughts.
2: Okay, so this is a tough question because I am have to get into the mind of the company rather than my own mind and sort of in in thinking about why it might be that. These cruise companies have their older ships over here and have their newer ships over in the Caribbean or out of Florida for the most part. But I think it really probably comes down to two things. I think dollars and cents is really one big thing. There are more people that are cruising out of the Southeast um, because of the cruise destinations, right? You can go to more places from Florida than you can from California. From California, you're really... Uh, the closest places you can go to are all Mexican ports. And from the East Coast, you can go to Bahamian ports, Mexican ports, Jamaica, uh, all of the, you know, Virgin Islands. There are just, you know, more Destinations, and so that leads to more cruises and more dollars. And so for Disney, we've got the two smaller ships that will be on the west coast. Obviously, the Magic is going to be on the west coast uh, when the Wonder is heading out to Australia and New Zealand. So that's reason number one. The other reason may, and I, I am surmising here, I don't know for sure. It may be that the Dream and the Fantasy can't do the Alaska ports. I'm just not sure about you know the size of the ship that can go through the inside passage and whatnot. Um, I know the dream and the fantasy both can go through the Panama Canal so they could get to the West Coast. But yeah, the second, as I said, the second is just my guessing. I think it probably more has to do with dollars and cents.
0: Yeah, Panama Canal is not a factor, as Sam sort of hinted. They've, had, they've trenched another canal at this point, so very large ships can make it through the Panama Canal. So I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is probably twofold, one that Sam has already given, I think the economics of it all. On the Disney side, I'd say because they're sailing out of San Diego, that is not a huge port. I don't think it could support like a Quantum of the Seas level ship. Uh, it could probably support support the dream and the fantasy. I don't know. You're, you're going to get into, you know, how big is the ship? Like the Wish. I'm not sure the Wish would fit easily in, into San Diego. It might. I mean, the harbor actually, you know, sports aircraft carriers and the like, but it's about the uh, the cruise terminal there. And for San Diego, I, I suspect that that's part of the problem on the Disney equation. There was some speculation they might send the dream or the fantasy out to do some of the sailings on the West Coast at one point after they announced the, the Wish and all of the new ships. I think the other thing, I don't think Alaska is actually a huge factor for this. I, I do think the dream of the fantasy could probably easily sail uh, up to Alaska and that there are ships comparable for like Royal Caribbean and, and some of the other lines of that size that are going up to Alaska. So I don't think that's a factor for, for Disney. Um, I, I really just do think it's the economics of the situation. Florida is pretty much the cruise capital of the world and more Caribbean sailings are occurring probably every day than any other kind of sailing. And so uh, I suspect they put the largest ships there because more people are going to buy them. They can do shorter sailings and still get to island. You know, and do a San Diego sailing. Your itinerary for a three-night sailing is going to be in Sonata. And back. There's nothing really you can do. I mean, it's like going to Nassau and back, Uh, but more people will get on a ship to go to the Bahamas and sit on the ship. Uh, The other thing is weather, I think, might play a factor here. Not, you know, from the sense that the dream and the fantasy couldn't handle the weather on the West Coast, but you're not going to load up a cruise ship in 60 degree weather out here in San Diego in the, you know, the winter time in Southern California uh, as easily as you could load up a cruise ship in the Caribbean. So, you know, I think they're sending the capacity that they think they can reasonably fill and do reliably fill. Uh, Now, as the treasure comes online and we get the uh, the last ship that was announced, not the Global Dream, because I don't think it will impact in this market. Uh, you, you might see something like the Fantasy or the Dream come out this direction if they redeploy uh, one of the legacy or classic ships elsewhere. The only other two things I was going to say is that in the old rotation, the smaller ships, Panama Canal aside, we'd go to places like New Orleans and then Galveston and then to San Diego. And again, from a port standpoint, like I do not think the Dreamer the Fantasy would fare well sailing up the Mississippi River. I'm sure it would fit if it had to, but I think it's also just the size of these ports that they're sailing out of these ships. Uh, Galveston, we haven't visited. I'm sure they probably have some larger ships, but also it seems like older ships. Again, smaller ports. Or are they going to be able to fill a Dreamer Fantasy? Uh, and then the last thing that I would just say is, as they have now moved to have the Wonder head over to Australia and New Zealand, it could also be a function that. They they want the smaller ship out here as they test those markets again capacity they don't know how much they're going to be able to sell out those sailings initially. And so they don't want to commit themselves to a larger ship that they could definitely fill back east. So would love to see the dream or the fantasy make their way out here. Would love to see the Wish spend a season out on the West Coast. Uh, but I have a feeling that is just not in the cards for the foreseeable future, uh, just based on the capacities. I would frankly love to see them move a ship up to LA. Uh, San Diego is a great port to sail in and out of, but it's always been baffling to me that Disney does not have a ship that ports out out of the LA area so that you could go to the park in Anaheim and then hop on a Disney cruise. You have to drive 90 minutes south to uh, to get to a cruise. But anyway, that's our best guess, our best answer. If other listeners out there have an idea as to why it might be the case or disagree with us or have a different idea, call the voicemail line. With that, we do need to take a quick pause to recognize our show sponsor, and then we will be on to the main part of the bonus show. Well, we need to take a quick pause in the action to thank our amazing show sponsor over at My Path Unwinding Travel. We have really come to love all of the agents over at My Path Unwinding Travel who you've heard on this show. So many of their agents have been on the show sharing their great experiences with concierge sailing, adventures by Disney, and just unique sailings across the Disney portfolio. And so have really come to rely on their expertise as we think about our own vacations, questions we've had about sailing concierge for the first time, questions about unique itineraries, and they are just, so knowledgeable, so friendly, so giving of their time. My Path Unwinding has some fabulous Facebook groups out there that you can join around Concierge Sailing, the Disney Wish, the Disney Treasure, just all kinds of great groups where they answer questions from people who haven't even booked vacations with them. So, love, love, love the great experience, expertise, friendliness of My Path Unwinding Travel. So, if you are thinking about booking your next Disney Cruise Line vacation, maybe been thinking about taking the leap and upgrading to Concierge, or have been eyeing some special adventures by Disney trip or really just want to benefit from the knowledge and expertise that a great travel expert can provide, highly recommend heading over to mypathunwinding.com/slash DCL Duo to book your next fabulous vacation. Use that link so they know the DCL Duo sent you. And with that, back to our episode. We normally don't talk parks on this show because several of you will have already tuned out at the mention of parks coming from our Cruise Line podcast, but we wanted to talk about our New Year's Eve trip to Disneyland following our last cruise. We thought it might be of interest to people to hear both how we got up to Disneyland, uh, what that trip was like, and then what it was like to spend New Year's Eve at Disneyland uh, this year. We've we've done New Year's Eve at Disneyland in 2019, I believe it was. Uh, we did New Year's Eve, uh, and it was a lot, of, uh, a lot of fun, and so we're looking forward to doing it this time. We disembarked the Disney Cruise at about 8, 15, 8, 30 in the morning and got an Uber, got out of you know, customs and passport control, got an Uber and headed over to the airport. We rented a car to do the transfer for two reasons. One, I looked at doing some private transfers from the Port of San Diego up to Disneyland and they were all running somewhere around four to $700 depending on the provider. And uh, it was a pretty variable cost. I couldn't sort of find a consistent price point. But all that said, I was able to rent a car from Enterprise, a one-way rental using a Disney, Discount that I have uh, that ended up costing us about $600, a little less, to get from the airport up to Disneyland. Then we had the car for a few days and then dropped it off at Orange County when we flew out of. Of John Wayne Airport there. The two reasons I did it one, it actually cost about the same or in some cases less than what the private transfer was going to cost. Actually, probably would have been less because the transfers I looked at were only from the port to San Diego and didn't include the transfer from the hotel over to the airport at the end of the day. Uh, it also gave us a lot of flexibility. So when we drove up from San Diego, we could detour off. And in fact, we did to visit with uh, a friend of ours, Arthur, and his kids. So Nathan could hang out with them at a park for the day, which was a lot of fun. Uh, so stopped off in the Irvine area to to do that. Then we went and had lunch on our own off Disney property and then headed to the Disneyland Hotel. Uh, The drive from San Diego to the Anaheim area is not difficult. You take I-5 North (laughs) and then uh, depending on where you're going, you might get off at 4.05 or you might stay on I-5, but uh, it's pretty much from the port to the highway and then just keep going. So Fairly straightforward drive. I think it would t- normally take you about an hour to an hour and a half, maybe maximum of two hours with traffic to get from San Diego to the Anaheim Resort area for Disneyland. Uh, we disembarked the cruise line on a Wednesday, a Wednesday of a holiday week, so traffic was not terrible on the highway to get up north. So it took us probably about an hour to get up to Irvine and then another half hour or so from Irvine to Anaheim. It's hard to know because in the middle of playing in the park, Nathan stepped on a bee, which caused us to have to to detour to get some beasting remedy medication. Uh, Don't ask why he was playing in a park without his shoes on. We just won't get into that story, but he was. And so uh, we had to do that. And uh, yeah, and we also stopped for lunch along the way. So we were a little bit more leisurely getting into Disneyland that afternoon. We did stay at the Disneyland Hotel this time. So uh, stay at the Disneyland Hotel. We decided to try out a one bedroom room at the Disneyland Hotel uh, and also had the club level. Uh, I have some thoughts about the room and club level, but maybe I'll just pause and get Sam's thoughts on the resort room and the club level amenities at Disneyland.
2: The room was nice. It was humongous, but that's the case with all rooms at the Disneyland Hotel. Spoiler, I bet the new tower will not have large rooms, uh, the new DVC tower, but all the rooms at the Disneyland Hotel are quite large. This one bedroom was humongous, so that was nice. Um, However, we had a nice view of the construction site, and throughout the day, uh, from about 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., construction was going on and it was quite noisy. Thankfully, because it's a union operation, they end at five and they also were not doing construction on the weekends. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't terrible having the construction next door. It just wasn't really a a nice view. I would say as far as the club level part, it was, I mean, you get access to the lounge, which has snacks in it, but it only is open from, I think, 630 in the morning till 10 at night. And I say only, I mean, that's a long number of hours. But when you're getting back from the parks, that's actually not not that late. Usually California Ventures open until... I don't know, like 11 or 10, depending on the night. And then Disneyland Park was open till midnight uh, most nights. So, yeah, really, uh, unfortunately, not much use to us. uh, And I would say overpriced for what it was.
0: Yeah. The other thing I'll just highlight for anyone out there who has sailed concierge on Disney Cruise Line is thinking about club level at the resorts. We've stayed club level at the Disneyland Hotel now, I think, two or three times. And we've stayed club level at the Beach Club once. And honestly, I think this was definitely the last time we'll stay club level at the Disneyland Hotel. We did have someone mention to us that the club level at the Grand Cal is pretty nice, but I just don't know that we get as much use out of the lounge in the parks setting as we do on the cruise line. Uh, On the cruise line, the lounge is a place to go to get a drink or some afternoon snacks as a way to not have to wander all over the ship for that stuff or spend money on it. Uh, It's a place where people meet in the evening. Uh, It's quiet, that sort of thing. Um, You know, the lounge at the hotel is... Just kind of nothing special in my mind. And you want to get up early and you want to get to the parks or you want to come back after shows. And then to Sam's point, you know, it's not even open um, in those at those times necessarily. The other thing is the the key difference for those considering club level at a park, the concierge host on the cruise line can do a lot for you and they will do a lot for you. And so if you want to make a, another dining reservation or change a dining reservation or book a spa or deal with a restaurant reservation, whatever it is, like they will do that stuff for you. We have found that our experiences with club level at the parks is very much like we'll say, well actually this trip uh, Sam had a Napa Rose reservation for, I think it was six people, which is kind of the maximum you can book online for Napa Rose. But we had two other friends who wanted to join us. And so we asked the concierge when we checked in if they could help us, you know, by contacting the restaurant and seeing if they could accommodate two more people for our reservation. And they were basically like, oh, well, just go in the app and try there. And it's like, well, I can't go in the app because the maximum number is six people. And so then they said, well, you can just call the restaurant directly. And we were sort of like, why can't you call the restaurant? Like, isn't this what we're paying for? For is the access to the concierge. So I think over time, the. Utility of the concierges at the various resort hotels has really declined. Um, if others out there have seen real value in the club level amenities, I'd certainly be curious to hear about it. Just because you know we're not parks experts by any means, we leave that to other shows. We just kind of relay our own experience. And but I would be curious if anyone out there has experienced some exceptional service from the concierge hosts. It, for us, it's been that even basic requests are kind of met with, "Oh, well, here's a number you can call," and it's like I'm not sure why I have like why can't you helped me with, with this. I thought that's what we were sort of paying for. Um, and in our case, we can put a dollar figure on the access to the lounge because our room didn't automatically include concierge uh, access or club level access. It was a request that our travel agent made and it was based on availability. And so they did honor the request and there was availability, but it cost an extra like $250 a night uh, on top of the existing hotel reservation we had for access to that lounge, which I found to be a significantly steep price for what we got. And so, again, leads me to think we will not be accessing the club level again, at least at the Disneyland Hotel, but unlikely that we'll even get it at other resort stays because we just we don't feel like we get any value out of the club level access. I will echo Sam. The room was huge. And I just want to highlight we were like right up against the construction. So... It was pretty noisy in the room when we got there, which was also a little disappointing. I know the construction's going on, you know, so I'm not going to like rant and rave or complain about it. The room was fine. And when we were in it in the evenings to go to bed, it wasn't like there was a ton of noise. But what I want to highlight for, out of this trip, we're not going to do kind of a day by day, ride by ride scenario. We just want to offer some of the experiences that we ended up doing. So on night one, Sam did book us some Carthay Circle alfresco dining. So Carthay Circle at Disneyland right now offers two types of dining one, the standard dining. In their dining room. The second is a holdover from the pandemic, which is alfresco dining or small plates or tapas kind of plates uh, with a few larger plate offerings. And basically, what they've done is convert the bar and kind of what was their main lobby waiting area into kind of a smaller dining area where you can go and order these small plates and drinks. So we ended up sitting in the bar with Nathan uh, and getting some small plates to snack on, which was perfect for us after being so full from being on the cruise line and a couple of drinks. I thought the food at Carthay Circle was good, uh, especially by park standards because Carthay Circle is inside the park itself. I find that Carthay Circle has some pretty good food for being inside the park and the drinks were obviously delicious. We had an excellent cast member who waited on us and she was fantastic and we got to... Talked to her a little bit and sent her a cast compliment. Uh, so shout out to Stacy, I believe it was. Uh, it was a fabulous meal, and then afterwards we finally were able to do the World of Color dessert party. And so I'll let Sam talk about that and booking that experience. But I do think it made all the difference uh, for our viewing of World of Color because we did not have to sit on the concrete <laughs> for an hour ahead of the show uh, to get a good spot to view World of Color. But Sam, what did you think of the dessert party? This
2: was a highlight for me from the parks trip. So first of all, this was a- a special world of color. It was the holiday one. I couldn't tell you what it's called, but it's their, their holiday one. So they only have it basically in December through, I think, maybe January 8th or something. Anyway, it's uh so it's not the regular world of color. There is a new world of color. I believe it's called the world of color one that's coming out uh, pretty soon, so it will change. But this was really nice. It was something you can book at the 60-day mark, but I will say the booking is really hit or miss because it doesn't always reliably become available at the 60-day mark. Sometimes it's the 59-day mark, sometimes the 58-day mark. So you got to really watch and keep trying or sign up for something like Mouse Dining or some other kind of alert system that does Disneyland stuff. Anyway, but we were able to snag three seats. It, It was expensive. I think it was about $89 a person, including Nathan. was off. He was the same price, I believe, as an adult. But it did include for each person a plate of cheese and grapes and desserts. And it also included a couple of drinks. You could have had, there was some kind of rum drink, which we didn't have. It was quite cold and late. And as Brian said, we had had a lot to eat and drink on the cruise. And so we decided to stick with, uh, I think, hot cocoa for Nathan and Brian and I had tea. Um, but this was a fantastic show. It's about a half hour long, but you actually arrive at the dessert party an hour before the show starts um, to be seated. And so you basically are eating your snacks and stuff while you're sitting at this table. And then when the show starts, you have a fantastic view.
0: Yeah, I just want to say the show was really good. So it's a holiday version of the show. We had heard from our friend Chris Bright over at the DCL podcast. that It was one of her favorite versions of the show, although she said she was in the minority of viewers on that, which I found interesting because I thought it was really spectacular show. I was blown away. We've seen World of Color before and it's always really spectacular and there's lots of water and fire and just all kinds of those elements. I don't recall having seen though they had lights all over the Incredicoaster uh, and they were using those as a backdrop as well in addition to the water features. I thought the holiday elements from the movies were really cute. Nathan really liked it. At one point I looked over and he just seemed to be enthralled watching the show. So I thought it was really, really good. So I'm not sure why people wouldn't like the show, but I really enjoyed it and we really had a good time there. One of the other experiences we got to do actually the next night was that we dined at Blue Bayou and coupled that up with a phantasmic dining experience. And so I wanted to pause for a second on Blue Bayou. The last time we ate in Blue Bayou was probably in 2019, maybe even 2018. Uh, and I don't remember the menu being all that remarkable. However, we found out on this trip that they have just started a new menu at Blue Bayou. It's about a month old now. And I thought the food was actually fantastic. Now, the service was a different different problem. Uh, I don't actually think our server was necessarily the issue. I think the restaurant was overwhelmed and I can't tell if they're just not staffed up or if they maybe had some people out or vacations or what it was. But uh, we showed up for a 6 o'clock reservation. We're seated at 6.15. We did have drinks by about 6.30 but our server didn't actually take our food order until closer to like 6.45, 6.50 and then our food did not come to us until like like 7.30, I want to say. And so, I mean, we were at the restaurant for 90 minutes before our food even came out. Now, the food itself was delicious. We for the Fantasmic Dining, you have a smaller menu or lesser choices because you're basically paying one price for the meal and the access to a special viewing area for Fantasmic. So some of the more expensive items on the regular Blue Bayou menu are not on the Fantasmic Dining menu. That said, we both started with the gumbo. I thought the gumbo was actually really good and delicious, especially, again, this is a restaurant inside of a theme park. I thought it was really good. I then had this Creole chicken dish. It was excellent. It had kind of a dirty, andouille sausage rice. It had two fried pieces of chicken. They were smaller. I will say that there were smaller pieces of chicken. I think they were like wings. And then it had like four or five or maybe even six shrimp uh, with it. And I I thought they were all cooked well. That was really, really delicious. Uh, Sam had a fish dish, which I'll let her talk about in just a second. And then I think we all ended up getting a dessert sundae at the end, which was good. It was a a Disney sundae and I don't think Disney makes a bad sundae. Uh, So that was good. Service was slow, which is something that they can... Improve What they can't always improve is food quality. And there I thought the food quality was excellent. The portions were good. You could tell they had really stepped up their game in terms of food. But Sam, how was your fish?
2: My fish was excellent. It was a, I believe it was a sea bass, and I couldn't tell you what all came with it, except that there were some, definitely like some mango flavors and capers and stuff in there. And it was just really, really good. The, I will say the price on this wasn't bad because it was $89 for, per, per adult or a person over 10 years, 10 and up. And it was only $35 for Gessie, just three through nine. So for Nathan, it was, you know, I mean, it was his appetizer was just, basically some carrot sticks. Um, but uh, I thought for him, you know, that price wasn't bad because it included the the reserved seating for Fantasmic. When I say reserved seating, though, I mean on the ground seating, not um, there's no chairs, there's no dessert package or anything like that. It is just a essentially a roped off area. So at the end of your meal, they give you your tickets uh, for the Fantasmic show that you reserved, either the early show or the late show. Uh, spoiler, we actually, I had tried to reserve early show but apparently had screwed it up and online had booked the later show but because our service our food was so slow the uh, our waitress took pity on us and was able to get her manager to allow us to get to the earlier show because that's what I had wanted for Nathan Um, just because it's quite late if you're obviously starting your your show at 1030 at night instead of 9pm so
0: yeah and I thought Fantasmic was excellent show there's no holiday special version of Fantasmic which just a standard version of Fantasmic. We did get a listener asked, So, what's the difference between Fantasmic at Walt Disney World at Disneyland? And all I can say is a lot. There is a lot that's different. There are some great articles out there that detail the differences. The version at Disneyland is actually Fantasmic 2.0. And I, I'll just say some of the biggest differences are that the one at Disney World is done in a bespoke amphitheater for Fantasmic. The one at Disneyland is actually done on the waterfront area in New Orleans Square using. I think it's called the River of Light. I, I don't remember what that river is, but. It's the river that the the river bell sails down and the big pirate ship sails down and people canoe on. And so because of that, they're able to both use the river in the show and also the boats. And so the pirate ship makes an appearance and has a Pirates of the Caribbean show that happens in the middle of it. Uh, the river bell comes, or the lady bell, I forget the name of the ship now, I feel bad about it. But the, the riverboat comes down with all the characters and prints like every character is on the ship waving and steamboat Willie Mickey is driving it. Some of the effects are a bit Bigger and the Fantasmic at Disneyland. The dragon is much more well developed at Disneyland than the one at Disney World. And so there's there's not to say that Fantasmic at Disney World is not fantastic. You should go and see it. It's a great great show. Um, they also have some extra scenes or different scenes at the one in Disneyland, including a scene with the genie. Uh, and so it's two very different shows. So there's a lot of difference between the two. So just because you've seen it at Disney World doesn't mean you should skip it at Disneyland. I think it's really really worth it to see. And the Disney World. Show show, I should also say, is based on the one at Disneyland. Disneyland had the first Fantasmic. Uh, and so the Walt Disney one, also won to see. Just, they're two different shows. So if you've seen it at Disney World, I'd say see it at Disneyland. If you've seen it at Disneyland, I'd say see it at Disney World. So that brings us to Festival of the Holidays, which was going on at Disney's California Adventure. It's uh, kind of like a pared-down food and wine. Actually, I actually don't know how pared-down it is compared to Epcot. I mean, there probably are fewer booths, just because the scale of Epcot allows for a lot more food and dining type of experiences. Uh, but essentially, it is kind of like Food and Wine, Festival of the Gardens that happens at Epcot. They have really, with California Adventure, kind of done a very similar thing to what they're doing with Epcot, where they'll have the holiday festival and then beginning, I think shortly after the holiday festival wraps up, they start Food and Wine at Epcot. They don't have much after Food and Wine wraps up, I don't believe, in California Adventure, but that could also be changing uh, because these festival booths that they have set up seem to be there kind of constantly, uh, but you can buy what's called a sip and saver pass at the Festival of the Holidays, where basically you get eight tickets... It's like fifty-four dollars, I think, to buy the Sip and Saver Pass. I believe that there's an annual pass holder discount on it, so you might get a little bit something off there if you happen to be a Magic Key holder. Uh, and you know, the average price of an entree or a tasting, I guess, at one of the booths is about seven fifty-eight dollars. $8. So you're spending, you know, fifty-four dollars to get sixty-four dollars worth of food. Uh, the drinks are a little less. The pass won't get you alcoholic beverages, but a lot of the booths have non-alcoholic specialty drinks. Typically, not a great use of your Sip and Saver Pass. Use your tickets. For drinks, but you can, um, and you get eight of them. We ended up buying two passes. That was a bit of a mistake. I'd say buy one pass and then see how much you eat and buy another one if you need it. You can buy the pass at any of the booths. You don't have to go someplace central. There's not long lines uh, at the booths this time around. In the past, in the summertime, we've seen a little bit lengthier lines to get food or buy passes. Uh, But this time around, for Festival of the Holidays, we were mostly able to walk up to booths. Now, we did tend to eat on the earlier side, and we actually bought our passes one evening as we were leaving the park for the to use for the next day. I think we bought them on the first night, actually. But it's great. You just walk up, order what you want. There's a little booklet that tells you what each booth or stand has, so you can kind of pre-p- pre-plan what you want. Some of the restaurants uh, also participate and have some special offerings that you can use the pass for. Uh, and so we tried some things like loaded latkes, which is also a fun thing that they do. They have food themed to each of the major holidays around this time, so they have some food that's tied to, like, Kwanzaa and some food that's tied to Diwali and some food that's tied to Hanukkah. And so, we had some latkes, we had some curried mac and cheese. Uh, We had a lot of, uh, I would say like Mexican themed dishes that were really good. They have booths that do just desserts. We didn't really try those, but I thought overall the portions were really nice. They were totally shareable. So you didn't need two passes at each booth. Uh, Most of the food was really good. Some of it, you know, we were like, nah, it wasn't my favorite, but it wasn't bad uh, by any means. Uh, So just kind of a fun way to grab some snacks around California Adventure rather than planning for like a quick service or a sit down dining if you happen to be there during either festival of the holidays or uh, california adventure food and wine festival
2: so that evening, we did have dinner at Napa Rose, so we did have to pace ourselves with that sip and savor pass. And it was so nice because we got to meet up with a bunch of our friends who we met through the My DVC points community. Shout out to Chad for introducing us to so many great people. Included in our, our dinner at Napa Rose was, of course, myself, Brian and Nathan, and then Gina, Brandon, Shannon, Nick and Steve. Of course, we have to go all the way to California to hang out with Nick and Steve, who live here in the Seattle area. Yeah. Um, but it was really nice to spend time with all of them and have a lovely dinner with them at Napa Rose. Uh, I will say a uh, highlight always at Napa Rose is the Smiling Tiger Salad, I believe it's called, but it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, all the food at Napa Rose, in my opinion, is amazing and delicious. The service is great. And I will just continue to plug Napa Rose as one of the best restaurants in the Disney Park system. Uh, on par, in my mind, are even better than Palo on board the cruise line. Uh, and what I love about it most, is that they're so accommodating for kids. And Nathan always has this like excellent mac and cheese dish that they make there. Not surprising since he got Mickey mac and cheese every at the cruise line. Um, but it's just great to be able to go have like a really nice fine dining meal and a relaxed atmosphere, you know, relaxed dress because, you know, they're accommodating people coming in from the parks. You can dress up if you want. They do have a chef's table, but they also accommodate kids. And so you can have this like nice meal with your son or daughter or family there and not feel like you have to find some way to get them a babysitter or put them in a kids club. So love, love, love. Uh, Last thing I just want to mention was New Year's Eve at the parks not a great time this time around for New Year's Eve, but not with anything to do with Disney. The weather in Southern California was just terrible on New Year's Eve. We got a little bit of park time in the morning, but it pretty much rained the entire day. Uh, Our friends Nick and Steve, who had World of Color on New Year's Eve evening, were completely drenched. Uh, Basically, Southern California had the atmospheric river roll through. And so starting early in the morning, it was drizzling. And then by noontime, basically the wind and rain just started to pick up steadily. They ended up having to cancel fireworks. We actually made a point to go to the lounge that evening in the hopes of seeing fireworks and got there early to get a seat. And they, they canceled them pretty quickly, which was not at all surprising to us because there was a wind advisory out <laughs> for the evening. Uh, so no fireworks. Uh, the Disneyland park sits right in the heart of Anaheim. So if the winds get too high, they have to cancel fireworks. And in our experience, it's not infrequent that they cancel those, those fireworks, to be perfectly honest, but uh, didn't get to see them on New Year's Eve. They were handing out some fun hats and uh, like. Horns for New Year's Eve, we heard that that was going on in the parks as well. And lots of dance parties throughout the parks. We've been there on New Year's Eve and they usually have a great firework spectacular and lots of overlays and fun music and DJs and dancing. So it, it is fun to do this year. Not so great because of the weather. Um, but we did get to experience Trader Sam's on New Year's Eve. So we have, however many times we've been to Disneyland, which is a lot, we've never been able to make it inside of Trader Sam's. We've always had drinks on the patio or snacks on the patio. We've never been able to go into the bar. Uh, it is tiny. as a tiny bar. It probably had maybe 10 tables in the entire place place, plus some bar seating. Uh, so hard to get a reservation there. Uh, but we had our New Year's Eve dinner at Trader Sam's and it was a lot of fun. I think what I liked most, the, f- the food was good. The drinks are amazing at Trader Sam's, which should not be surprising because it's a tiki bar. But I think what I like most is they have a show element to it. And so all of the waiters and waitresses are supposed to be essentially washed up jungle cruise skippers. So our waiter introduced himself by saying that he had had seven boats sink. So <laughs> they put him into Trader Sam's, and then they would make Jungle Cruise type puns when they would bring your drinks over or when you'd order something. So I think the first drink I ordered was the tiki, 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 tiki rum, and the server immediately said, I think you missed a tiki in there somewhere, Uh, or I couldn't tell what you were ordering. Without the without the right number of tiki's, Uh, but the drinks were fantastic. So we tried the poo-poo platter and we had the ramen. Uh, Both were were very good. I preferred the poo-poo platter. I think Sam liked the ramen a lot. Nathan had a kids burger basically. Uh, But there's this fun show element with it with the staff. There's also some stuff going on inside the bar itself that I won't get into with like erupting volcanoes and storms and uh, air raid sirens and things like that. But so it was fun. It was fun to be in there. The only thing that was a little disappointing, but you know, understated understandable was just they have like a 90-minute limit on the table. So once you step in the restaurant, you got 90 minutes to have your food and drink and then get out. No big deal for us. 90 minutes is plenty of time and you can always get a drink to go uh, if you want. So I grabbed a drink to go on my way out of the out of the bar and uh, took that with us up to the lounge. And there was no like shortage of servers given the sort of small number of tables. We had a very attentive server and I thought the food was good and the atmosphere was a lot of fun. So Sam, anything you wanted to add as we wrap up this uh, our New Year's Eve at uh, Disneyland?
2: I just wish it wasn't wasn't raining so hard, but it was fine. We had a really nice evening, as we said, and the you know spent some time in the lounge, got some desserts there, and then headed back to the room and just uh, turned on the TV just in time to catch the uh, the clock strike midnight on the East Coast, meaning nine PM for us.
0: All right, so fun time at Disneyland for us, and uh, we're gonna wrap it up there and uh, appreciate all of you listening.
2: Happy New Year, everyone!
0: Happy New Year. <laughs> As always, thank you so much out there for listening to our bonus show this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. You can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. Please also head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us those five-star reviews. And if you leave us a written review, we will read it on the air in our main show each and every week. We love connecting with you, our listeners and hearing your feedback. So head over there, leave us a review. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also connect with our show via our voice line if you'd like to send us a question a comment or otherwise have us address your feedback on the air then just leave us a message at 402-413-5590 that's 402-413-5590 if you'd like even more great content from the dcl duo you can always browse to youtube.com dcl duo for our vlog If you'd like to help support the show, you can always browse to patreon.com slash dclduo and choose from one of our monthly support tiers. We really do appreciate each and every one of our Patreons out there for making this show happen each and every month. We also really appreciate our amazing show sponsor, My Path Unwinding Travel. So if you're looking to book your next fabulous Disney vacation, head over to www.mypathunwinding.com slash dclduo to book your next fabulous vacation. Use that link so they know the DCL duo sent you. The DCL Duo podcast is not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Disney Company, or the Disney family of theme parks. Views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of Disney Cruise Line or the Disney Company. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL Duo. Good night.